Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. of May 2021, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I was uh, listening to coverage yesterday from George Floyd Square. Uh, Lots of coverage um, related to the first anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Um, As I was listening to the coverage, um, gunfire rang out. And so later in the day, I actually went and watched the video of this reporter who was standing in front of Cup Foods. Uh, in the, that's in the background of the camera shot. Uh, he is talking about the bill under consideration in Congress for comprehensive police reform. And that's when you hear the distinct sound of gunshots. Lots of gunshots. You can actually count them in the video. There are more than 30. The cameraman remains trained in the direction of the shots, even as the reporter apologizes for stepping out of the scene. Um There's an SUV that drives from the scene. The reporter is clearly rattled. The cameraman just keeps saying, we're okay, we're okay. Are we okay? Are we okay? Now, we now know that that gunfight was over a parking space. And we also know that one person uh, sustained non-life-threatening injuries. But I want you to just imagine if the same thing had happened just a couple of hours later when George Floyd Square, that intersection, Um, was packed with families. The shooting yesterday captured in real time the volatile nature of the times in which we live and um, the reality that in many American cities there are very real war zones. There is a rising challenge, but it is a challenge that is already um, at a level that... Should be it should be of mutual concern to all of us. So in the city of Minneapolis, where many of you are listening this morning, there are little kids in the hospital. Lot of Yon Garrett is 10 years old. A bullet pierced Lot of Yon's head. Doctors put him in a medically induced coma removing part of his skull to relieve the swelling on his brain. He is at North Memorial Hospital. Nine-year-old Trinity Odison Smith was jumping on a trampoline at her friend's house when bullets fired from a passing car struck her in the head. She is also in critical condition at North Memorial in the room next to a lot of yawns. Nineteen children in Minneapolis have been shot this year. 171% increase over the same period last year. And if you can imagine, it's worse in Chicago. This past weekend was the deadliest weekend yet in a year of deadly weekends. 54 people were shot uh, and wounded. 12 killed in Chicago this past weekend. 54 this past weekend. The weekend prior to that, 
48. There's a homicide tracker for Chicago now. There's also a documentary, and the producer of Chicago, America's Hidden War, joins me next. Pastor Demas Salaberrios joins me now, uh, among other things. He is the producer of the documentary Chicago, America's Hidden War. Demas, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. So glad to be on with you. Well, I'm um, I'm thrilled to be talking with you. I look forward to conversations in the future about your ministry in New York City and um, all that God is doing in and through you. But today, let's let's focus in on Chicago uh, and America's hidden war. Tell people what is going on in Chicago. I mean, Chicago uh, really breaks my heart, you know, because one of the big things that's happening is, you know, it's like apathy has become this real enemy to people solving the problems in Chicago. And uh, our team went down there with a with the heart to just share. I remember when New York City was the murder capital. I remember, you know, morgues were overflowing here with young people dead. I lost 30 friends during that time period that were shot and killed. And now, I mean, just this year alone, over 100 children have been shot in Chicago. Over 16 children are, are dead. It's a war zone right in the middle of our heartland. And this genocidal behavior has to be addressed. So we made this film uh, to expose this reality. And to be honest, there are demonic forces, evil, that don't want even this film and this truth to get out. I can't tell you how many battles that we are constantly fighting. We have distribution. You know, we are in Regal Theaters this weekend and Marcus Theaters and and several others, but it is an uphill battle that we're fighting because in the movie, uh, the most, one of the most popular mayors, Rahm Emanuel says, I need the church to help. And you see the church going out on the streets with guns being turned in, uh, gangbangers being baptized, people turning their lives around. And and I, I really feel like that is what we're battling against, you know? Uh, imagine theaters in Minneapolis, you know, this this past Sunday, we played in that area. And uh, and so, so I'm just asking believers, keep us in prayer. The more we show up, the more it makes a difference. The website is Chicago's Hidden War. Dot com. Um, you can go there. You can watch the trailer. You can also put your zip code in and find a theater near you. Um, in uh, in our in our Twin Cities area, you could watch it uh, at in Plymouth and Lakeville and White Bear and Rogers and and Monticello. Um, but one of the things that I would say, Demas, that um, maybe is of concern and surprise to me. This movie's been out for a couple of weeks, and yet there's there's a crickets level of coverage, and it's very well done, and it's and the content is incredibly important. So let's talk about um, some of the realities on the ground in Chicago. Uh, it's it's what is true in Chicago is also true in other 
uh, metropolitan lo- locations across the country. But we're focusing in here on this most just it's it's heartbreaking. The stories are heartbreaking. And the numbers are now at such a scope, Demas, that it's hard to bring individuals into focus in our minds. But that's what we have to do. We have to focus on individuals because the numbers are overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the numbers, there's about 1,500 shooters in Chicago. And there's millions of us. You know, that this this that city is reachable. But what is in the way of that taking place is is a lack of caring. And in, in many respects, people are struggling with faith to believe that that these people can be changed. You know, and that just points to this big cloud of apathy that blinds the eyes of people when we have to have empathy. We need to get to a place of saying a kid in Chicago should not have to sleep on a wood floor under his bed. A kid Mm -hmm. in Chicago should not have to live in fear and only feel safe when he's in school and in church. So, I mean, this movie has made the Oscar list. Uh, This is my directorial debut. Um, You know, we shot this at the highest level. We didn't pull back uh, anything. Uh, You know, we, the composer, is from Berkeley, who's a social justice music composer, John Petitucci, who's also played in uh, on the film The Joker. I mean, like, there's nothing, you know, sometimes people think, oh, it's a faith film, it's just going to be, like, so-so. No, this will captivate you from beginning to end. It's selling out in theaters. It was sold out in multiple theaters all over Chicago, multiple theaters all over New York City. The LAPD is standing behind this film. The mayor in uh, out, out here in the police department in Rochester, New York, are standing behind this film. I mean, there's so many people that are that are backing this film and saying this is a must-see. There are cities now that are buying theaters out for churches. I mean, for not for churches, but for kids on the street to go and see it mm-hmm. for free. We have police departments going to see it. Well, and Dimas, um, you know, I think that when when people think about the parts of Chicago um, where these stories unfold most often, um, these are not parts of the city that people are going going into as tourists. And so let's talk a little bit about the reality um, in these neighborhoods. I know we need to take a very, very brief break, but when Dimas uh, Salaberrios and I ret- return, we're going to continue this conversation about Chicago, America's Hidden War. It is an excellent documentary film. It's in theaters right now. Chicago's com is where you can find information about the film and put your zip code in and find a theater near you. And if there's not one near you, you could advocate at your local theater that they um, that they carry it, that they that they share it. And if you need to buy the theater out in order to get it shown in your community, um, maybe think about that as well. We're going to talk about the realities in the neighborhoods um, where most of us, most of us, um, you know, are not going to go when we visit Chicago. And uh, and so we want to know what the realities on the ground in these neighborhoods is like. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Power from the grave. 
Talking with uh, Pastor Dimas Salaberrios, he is also the director of Chicago, America's Hidden War. You can find the movie at the website, chicagoshiddenwar.com. Dimas, for people who have never been to the parts of Chicago um, where the overwhelming majority of these shootings are taking place, take them into those neighborhoods. Talk about school there. Talk about church there. Talk about life there. Yeah, um, it's it's true. It's, it's truthfully like living in a war zone. Um, we came back, my family with PTSD. Uh, we were there on the ground. We saw 50 schools close, which meant that, you know, these kids that had schools in their neighborhood now have to travel through enemy territory to get to school. The way it is, is wherever you're born, if you're born in a disciple area, you're considered a disciple. If you're a teenager, people will will fire guns on you. You know, it, it's like is that a, in a gang? Because the word disciple yeah, may yeah, not mean yeah, the same thing. See, Christianity, we think <laughs> disciples just mean disciples of Christ. I mean, no, there's there's a darker side to that title that was uh, picked up uh, with, with one of the big one of the big gangs in the city, and um, and and these people are really struggling. Uh, Food, it's a food shortage there, you know, like food chains, like, you know, ones that we normally go to. I don't want to call them out on the spot, but they've abandoned those areas. So no one should have to live the way that they're living there. And uh, and I thought you hit an excellent point. We need people to advocate, you know, out here in New York, they bombarded the Regal theaters out here, and people said, we need this content where you're seeing the church really bringing love and compassion in, in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And also, we need something that's more unifying. This film, even though it's so-called Chicago, America's Hidden War, it's, it's a unifying movie. I mean, I was blown away. One of the biggest fears from some people at first were like, oh my gosh, what are the police going to think? What are they going to think about it? You know, uh, is this could be offensive to them. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, we had the LAPD watch it. And they said, this is our favorite movie. The LAPD gave me a police escort into Watts as I had to go there and, and, and just see. And they was like, this is so balanced. This is the world that we're living in. This is the reality that we're going through. And, uh, and they, they, they came to our premiere like 10 officers strong, the heads of, of the LAPD when we did a, a premiere in LA. So, you know, it's, it's a battle when we shine our light, but we got to shine our light. And what the Bible says, the world will know our love, that we'll know that we're his disciples for our love one for another. So I'm just going to be honest. This film needs faith love. This is a film, finally, where you can see the church making a difference and homicides drop because we're out on the street and the world's trying to make this their best kept secret. You know, we're fighting just to get them the right reviews. This was in the Oscars round one. I mean, what more can we do? You know, so mm-hmm. I'm just grateful for you, Carmen, and for others. But there has to be a local battle for it everywhere. Demas, let's talk about what churches are doing um, because lives are being transformed. Uh, you know, I think that when we talk about 1,500 shooters in a city of millions, 1,500 shooters doesn't sound like a lot, but each and every one of them needs to have their life transformed in order that 
the gun violence comes to an end. So so talk with us about what churches are doing, because that's really what the movie is about. Yeah, well, right now they're doing something called Hands Across Chicago, Chicago United in Prayer. So, you know, the Church of Chicago is coming together to pray. We need to pray for them. They are overwhelmed and in in the midst of doing more funerals than anywhere else in the United States. And sometimes, you know, that hurt and that pain spills over. We need to pray for the Church Chicago to have unity, to cheer each other on. But many of them are trying to hit the streets. They are trying to do mentor programs. You know, they're, they're getting guns turned in. They're doing all kind of really good work. But um, but it can go a lot further. Uh, you know, New York City is one of the most united churches, so I know where it can go, and uh, and they still have a ways to go there, and we'll see more results. The problem was they had great results, but then the coronavirus came along, and uh, and it just took that city uh, three steps back again. So it's like rebooting and starting all over. And I think people wearing masks just added an increase to the ability to shoot and not get caught. Mm. Um, let's talk about what happens when, uh, you know, a shooter is identified, because it's hard for me to imagine that in these communities, people don't know who's doing the shooting. Well, the people definitely know who's who's doing the shooting, but there's been a breakdown from years. We have to remember Chicago is one of the most corrupt cities in the nation. Mm-hmm. So people that used to cooperate with the police back in the day, the police were paid off by gangs and the mob and they would turn those people in who cooperated. So there's years of broken trust and a culture that's been built, unfortunately, where the community is scared to talk to the police because they have a history of, of selling out. Elliot Ness, Mm -hmm. his code name was known as the only man in Chicago that couldn't be bought out. So that lets you know um, that there's some deep uh, distrust there, but it's getting better. Demas, can we um, can we pray for you and pray for this film? I would I would be honored. Yes, please. We we would Father, Father, we thank you for our brother Demas, and we ask um, that you would pour out every resource necessary. Not only every spiritual resource, Father, which you you just clearly do, but Father, we need some resourcing for this film to penetrate into the marketplace of ideas here in America so that more people can not only understand what's happening on the ground, but catch the vision and catch a heart for the transformation of uh, of those who currently live with such a view of humanity um, as to see life as as not worth, um, as not worthy. And Father, we know that to be a lie. And we know that, uh, that the destruction and the chaos in our communities, including Chicago, is a work of the enemy. And so, Father, we ask that he be bound today. Bind, bind yes. the enemy and yes. lift up life. And Father, grant the church the resources necessary um, in these communities to step forward and let us see lives transformed. Let the testimonies of, of folks who have been shooters, let their testimonies ring out, uh, Father, that more and more people might, um, might not only embrace Christ, 
and a life transformed in him, but embrace life. Um, and so, Father, help us, help us um, to resource schools and, um, and families and churches in the front lines of this war, not only in Chicago, but in cities across America. Thank you, Father, for Demas. Your hand of blessing be upon him. Lift him up. Guard his heart and mind and family and ministry. Uh, and, Father, continue to use him in powerful ways to bring the gospel to bear on the realities of life here in the United States of America. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Demas, um, thank you. Chicago'sHiddenWar.com is the website. Let me encourage you to watch the trailer. Let me encourage you to find a theater where it's playing near you. And if it's not playing in a theater near you, you go out today and you make that happen. Chicago'sHiddenWar.com. Demas, um, thank you so much. Let's talk again about you know what God what God's doing positively on the ground um, in in New York City. I think that one of the things that you said is going to be a surprise to people. And that that's uh, that in New York City, you know, there's a very united church. I'd love to have that conversation at some point. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carmen. We look forward Amen. to it. Blessings. That's Blessings. Demas Salabarius. He is a, uh, a pastor in New York City. He's also the director of Chicago, America's Hidden War. You can find it at chicagoshiddenwar.com. We'll be right back. All right. If you listen uh, frequently, then you know Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum is one of my favorites. We are going to talk across a range of cultural headlines. Jim Dennison up next. If you're a regular at the gym, you know that building muscle takes time, effort and determination. And the muscle fibers must be broken down before they're built up. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm not here to be your personal trainer at the gym, but I can tell you that making wise choices is like building strong muscle. If you're making all the choices for your teen, you're actually keeping them from getting stronger. Sure, there's breakdown first. Your son or daughter will make lots of mistakes, but because of the blunders, they'll learn to flex their skills a little better next time. The whole process takes time, effort, and determination on the part of parents. But the end result, a healthy and strong young adult. You have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My go-to resources in terms of reading the headlines of the day and discerning them through the mind of Christ. One of my favorite go-to resources is the Denison Forum. You can find it at denisonforum.org. Jim Denison joins me again today. Jim, welcome back. Carmen, thank you so much. Glad to be on with you this morning. So there are a number of great um, pieces that you guys have posted at Denison Forum right now. I, I love Ryan's piece about the Kentucky tattoo artist who covers racist tattoos for free. That's a great piece. I commend it to people. I love the piece that you've posted um, on Hamas and the spiritual battle that we are uh, needing to fight, the one on our knees. But I want to um, lead off today with the Senator Rand Paul um, story because we have not talked about it yet here on the show. So why don't you bring people up to speed? Um, what what did the Pauls receive at their home 
Um, and how, as we have of people of faith, you know, how can we speak into the challenges we're facing as a culture? Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry to have to talk about this, but glad to talk about it with you. Absolutely. So there was an envelope that was delivered to their home in Kentucky. It had a picture on it of a bandaged and bruised Senator Paul with a gun to his head. A threat was printed beneath it that said, I'll finish what your neighbor started, you, and then there's an expletive deleted. Now, the picture in the threat referred to an assault on Paul by his neighbor in 2017. The senator was doing yard work when a man named Rene Boucher or Boucher attacked him and broke five of his ribs. And so there's a picture of him after that attack on this envelope with this threat printed on it and some white substance, white powder in the envelope as well. It turns out, fortunately, that the white powder was non-toxic upon further analysis, but that was the threat that was delivered to his home on Monday. And um, you talk in your your piece um, about grief and grief for our culture and the urgency of civility. So call us, I think, not just to our better selves, right? Because it's not just our better selves to which we need to be called, but a genuinely redemptive uh, approach. Yeah, thank you. I believe it's on two levels. The first starts with what is called an inner monologue, where we censor ourselves so that we speak and act publicly in ways that might be more redemptive than our private thoughts and attitudes might be. In the article, I describe, for for instance, the fact that I disagree with Senator Paul on a variety of levels, whether it's his decision not to be vaccinated or his hearings with Dr. Fauci and so forth, that I can have personal disagreements with him, but my personal private thoughts and attitudes must be reflected publicly in a way that is redemptive. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Being angry isn't the sin. It's what I do with the feeling of anger by hurting others, by reaching out in ways or or, uh, reacting in ways that dishonor the Lord. That's the issue. Matthew 18.15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. I'm not allowed to speak about you until I've spoken to you. I'm not allowed to slander, simply not allowed to do so. St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. So let's ask Mm. the Holy Spirit to help us censor our inner monologue and then speak to others in ways that are redemptive and to glorify our Lord. So you have written um, on prior occasions about the whole phenomenon of American Idol um, and the success of American Idol. Um, I mean, I I remember following this thread line um, a few years ago when you talked about it. We have a new American idol, which we could just talk about that, the fact that America has idols and we have a new one. Um, But you wrote a day ago about uh, this surprising winner of American Idol. So introduce those who are listening to the newest American Idol. Um, And then, you know, why are you and I talking about this person today? Yeah, exactly. And we really could talk about kind of the irony of you and I having a discussion about Americans <laughs> voting who their idol is, right? <laughs> There's a lot of conversation inside that that's really kind of ironic, if not worse, perhaps just a bit. But nonetheless, so there are the th- these three finalists of American Idol season 19, and the, the victor was crowned on Sunday night. The least likely, uh, according to a lot of people watching the show, a lot of the viewers, even the polls, all that sort of thing, is the person that winds up winning, a person named Chase Beckham. And the reason I wrote about him is because of his personal story. He was a forklift operator before he auditioned for the show. But during the finale, he made this statement, when you're sober for the first time, performing for a long time going in, I was a broken person. I came out the other side just a little bit more healed. 
He's been pretty transparent about his story. At one point, he drove while drunk. He ended up unconscious on the side of a highway after a bad wreck. He said getting to a point where you lose everything from your girlfriend, your house, your dogs, your car, you lose your license, you almost kill yourself in a DUI wreck, you're at the end of your rope, and then he says you realize this is going to be the rest of my life or I can turn things around. But here's the line that really got me. He was wanting his victory to help other people in hard places. He said it really signifies you can make a change, even when everything's as bad as it can be. He said it sounds corny, but my life literally went straight up after it went as bad as it can happen. And here's the sentence. And just with a little bit of hard work and a little bit of faith and a little bit of trust in God, it went a long way for me. So there's this balance, this partnership between us and God that I wanted to explore in the article. And let's talk about that partnership. Um, you know, I think that there are, you know, there are people who are immediately going to say, nope, nope, it's just God. It's all God. Um, it's There's nothing. We don't bring anything to it. Um, and that's true when we're talking about the work of salvation. But when we're talking about the work of sanctification, you know, you you and I know, I mean, you got to get up and you got to put your tennis shoes on and you got to walk around the block if you want, um, you know, some of that <clears throat> fat to be redeemed. So let's talk a little bit about um, that that cooperation, because that's you, you a, focus on that as well. Yeah, thank you. And it's such a challenge. It really has been for me as well, because uh, I've struggled with this as well. Is it God or is it me? For by grace mm-hmm. are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We know human words can't change human hearts. We can't convict people of sin. We can't save souls. We can't change lives. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And yet Scripture calls us to study to show yourselves approved. We're, we're called to pray without ceasing. We're called into the very spiritual disciplines. So is it that our spiritual disciplines are earning our sanctification, our growth? Is this on us? It's kind of the old idea of what you are as God's gift to you, what you make of yourself as your gift to God. Well, Richard Foster was the breakthrough for me as he has been for so many people in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, where years ago, Carmen, I remember where I was when I read this. I was actually speaking at a chapel uh, in a school in Midland, Texas, when I was pastoring First Baptist Midland. I had some time, and I'd started Celebration of Discipline. And in the early parts of the book, he makes this statement. Spiritual disciplines position us to receive what God's grace wants to give. Mm. That was a breakthrough. So we pray, we read, we do the disciplines of spirituality, not to earn sanctification, not to sanctify ourselves. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But these things we do position us to receive what grace wants to give. If somebody's not close enough to a radio, they can't hear this conversation. Doesn't mean they earned it, they didn't pay for it, they're receiving it for free, as it were, but they had to be close enough to receive it. Well, that's how this, as I work, God works partnership really is. I do my part to position myself to receive what God uniquely can do. And that's the balance God is calling us to. I appreciated um, in this piece that you talk about uh, hinge moments, making the most of life transitions. For listeners to this show, you will remember we talked with Dr. Michael Lindsay um, about his new book, Hinge Moments, here back on the 27th of April. So you can go and listen to that conversation or you can read more about uh, Jim Dennison's thoughts on this topic as well. This article, American Idol Crown's Surprising Winner, uh, is at denisonforum.org. Jim and I will be right back. All right, a little uh, theme music there from E.T. to tee up a conversation about aliens with Jim Dennison. From the Denison Forum, you can read what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. 
All right, Jim, a lot of conversation today about UFOs. Go. <laughs> you know, I didn't know if you would do that or Star Wars. Those were your opportunities. Those were your, <laughs> were your options, right? Uh, 1977, Star Wars is premiered on May the 25th. So I thought that's a good introduction to a conversation that's happening all across the culture. So here's kind of a way to get into this. Last summer, U.S. Defense Department issued a news release with the headline, Establishment of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. These UAPs are what we would call UFOs. Senate Intelligence Committee has called for the Director of National Intelligence to produce a report on everything government agencies know about UFOs, and that's due sometime next month. Well, media sites in the meantime are reporting on Air Force and Navy pilot videos showing unexplained objects traveling at unusual speeds, performing unexplainable serial maneuvers. President, former President Obama even said on late night TV, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. New Yorker had a feature length article on the subject. And so there's been a great deal of interest in recent days and the concept of UFOs and if they're moving as it's perhaps uh, reported that they are, would that mean that these are produced by alien civilizations? Are there aliens? Are there not? And what would the Bible say about all of that was what interested me when I wrote the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get to that, because, um, you know, if there are aliens, what does that say? Well, how, how do we respond to that? from a from a biblical worldview and if someone just dismisses the idea that there's even the possibility of life elsewhere what does that say in terms of my conversation with them about you know I don't know the creative sovereignty of God Exactly so, and it's on both sides. Let's start with what we shouldn't do, with what we should not say here. So much of the argument behind the the existence, possibility of life on other planets works out of a naturalistic, humanistic, some would say secular, even uh, anti-theistic perspective that says life evolves by chaotic chance, by coincidence, and if it could happen here, it could kind of happen anywhere where the uh, conditions are right for this. And so if we're looking for other planets that seem to have what's called the Goldilocks principles, where there's things there where it's not too hot, not too cold, that sort of thing, then why couldn't life happen there if it happened here? Well, that's a naturalistic approach that the Bible obviously immediately vetoes. says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as I say in the article, there's a great deal of science behind that statement today. There's a great deal of evidence, more maybe than ever before, for the fact that this world as we know it, life as we know it, absolutely was engineered through a kind of intelligence that we cannot explain in natural terms. So let's get rid of that idea. Let's let's veto that idea that aliens could happen just because life occurs through chaotic random chance. Instead, if we're looking at this biblically, then maybe three points should be considered. First, if aliens exist, Jesus made them. Colossians 1.16 says that in Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things created through him and for him. Second, if aliens have free will, as you would assume they would, they need a savior. Because they're finite beings, they're going to choose evil. It will break their relationship with the Holy Creator that would require the atonement of a sinless Savior. And so now you get into all sorts of speculation about how Jesus' atonement could work in such a way they could know about it and trust him. And then third, the Bible's a practical book. Doesn't tell us what happened to the dinosaurs or the size of the universe. Doesn't tell us about aliens because that's not a practical issue for our relationship with God. But at the end of the day, as you said, God is sovereign. Who am I to tell God what he can or cannot do? Al Mohler said, and I agree with this, there's nothing in Scripture that says there can't be some form of life somewhere. 
What we are told is that the cosmos was created in order that on this planet, Jesus Christ in space and time and history would come to save sinful humanity. That's the practical point, which is where we need to land. Okay, if you let your imagination, you know, <laughs> run for a minute, is it is it even, is it, is it possible that there's an unfallen part out there? An unfallen? I mean, right? I mean, we say that if they are out there, they need a savior. Is there mm-hmm. any possibility that there's an unfallen I don't even know if, if the word race is right here. An unf- you, you see where I'm going, right? Sure. I mean, obviously, yeah, a- if there is, it's unlikely we would ever know because uh, exposure to us would be terminally bad. <laughs> you know, that's an excellent point. I've not heard that brought up, that if they are unfallen, that's even more argument for why we wouldn't know it, because the worst thing they could do would be to connect with a fallen race like ours, right? But really, this right. gets into some Augustinian theology, back into the mm-hmm. what's called the free will theodicy, free will argument. So we're created with freedom so we can choose to worship God and love our neighbor. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, freedom requires a choice. And so we as finite beings, and they, they're not infinite, they're created if they exist by an infinite God, but they're finite beings. Augustine would say that because we are finite beings, inevitably we're going to misuse this freedom that we have. And when we do that, the fall is our fault, not God's. So it gets to that inevitable part. Could there have been a day, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden on another planet, so to speak, that they're presented every minute of every day with the choice between good and evil, but they never a single time with a single person make the choice for evil, make a choice to eat the forbidden fruit, as it were, make a choice to be as God. That would be the question. That would be the plausibility we're working with here is to what degree would that be possible across all the time that they've existed, that not even one of them a single time would misuse their freedom in that way? That would be the argument we'd be thinking about. So good. Jim, um, we're going to let you go because we know you are um, up against another conversation that you need to have with somebody else. And we totally appreciate talking with you. And I'm simply going to use the last couple of minutes to read Ryan's piece on the Kentucky tattoo artist um, into the record here on the show, because it is in my view that good. So please thank him for it on our behalf. That's Jim Dennison. You can find what he's writing every single day at Dennisonforum.org. You can also read what uh, great guys like Ryan Dennison are writing as well. Jim blessings. Carmen, thanks so much. God bless. Absolutely. We'll be right back. I'm going to read the Kentucky tattoo artist cover racist tattoos for free. That's up next. You're on mornings with Carmen. I want to end our um, time together in this first hour just reading to you Ryan Dennison's post at Dennison Forum. Kentucky tattoo artists cover racist tattoos for free um, because it's just so good and we've got time. When Kentucky tattoo artist Ryan King and his colleagues watched, quote, the protest inequality and people standing up for racial rights, end quote, last summer, they felt compelled to try to help. So when COVID restrictions eased and they were able to reopen their shop, they posted on Instagram, if you have a racist tattoo and you want it gone, I'll cover it for free. No questions asked. 
Well, um, the response was beyond anything they could have imagined. Their Instagram post started to make the rounds, and people reached out from California to New York, overseas from Ireland to South Africa. And now this tattoo artist and other artists at the Gallery X Art Collective spend every Thursday turning swastikas, Confederate flags, um, SS bolts, and other racist tattoos into something that people can uh, display with pride. They say the uh, only thing more impressive than the final product are the stories that go along with them. As the article notes, uh, I had a father that told me he had never taken his shirt off in front of his kids because of a mistake that he had made in his 20s in prison um, when he had gotten into the wrong crowd. Um, So just imagine that for a moment. While their ability to transform racist images into something else is a big part of the Endeavor's success, it's the promise of no questions asked that actually drives most of the response. Uh, They say normally people who are ashamed of their tattoos are pretty much at the whim of whoever's going to be able to cover it for you. And if you're brave enough to enter into establishment and say, yes, that was me, I was a racist, but that's not who I am now, um, then, you know, there's a redemptive move being made. So Ryan goes on to say, as Christians, we're called to do much the same. One of the key callings as followers of Christ is to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's from Ephesians chapter 4. While we may know and recognize that we're called to exhibit that kind of forgiveness, actually doing so is often much more difficult. God knew it would be. That's why our forgiveness of others is meant to be an extension of our gratitude for and understanding of the forgiveness that we have received from him. So when we remember All that Christ has done for us, it enables us to better extend grace to others. That's a crucial step. And so um, you've got these tattoo artists that are freely, without question, covering the sins of the past in the form of artwork uh, on people who have received tattoos and want them to now be covered. I want you to just think about who covers you. And if God's got you covered in Christ today, then what might the extension of that grace look like to someone else today? Could you reserve judgment long enough to extend grace that somebody else might find themselves covered in Christ? Sometimes it is going, in fact, every time, not just sometimes, it is going to require that we withhold some judgment against the other in order for the grace to flow far enough that the other might be covered by the same grace with which we are covered in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the first hour of Mornings with Carmen. We have a whole nother hour up next. I'm looking forward to my conversations in it with John Brandon and Matthew Sleet. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.